We're off to Europe to break down everything about Disneyland Paris, including two of the best versions of your favorite Disney rides. That and more on today's Park Hop. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Great Park Hop. My name is Julian James, and to my right, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Henry Hall. Hey, man. How's it going? Great, man. Every every day is a good day when I get to, to sit next to you and talk about all of this. Yeah, boy. Each week, we get together to discuss the latest and greatest theme park news, happenings, and burning topics from the lands of Disney, Universal, and beyond. Before launching into things, though, it needs to be said that Henry works at the Walt Disney Company. As always, his opinions are fully his own. All my own. <laughs> Gotta believe it. All right, so we'll just launch right into uh, into the happenings of this week at Disney. Hollywood Studios is trying out a one-hour return window for Rise of the Resistance. WDW News Today is reporting that instances of one-hour return window is being used for boarding groups uh, sporadically at Walt Disney World. This seems to be a test to attempt to cycle more people through than usual. Uh, those two-hour return windows um, were in place previously, but... If you get a notification that says, hey, you have one hour to return back to the ride, congratulations, you are in the one hour return window group. Um, So this seems like this is a a pretty clear example of Hollywood Studios. This is not happening at Disneyland yet, at least it hasn't been reported yet. seems to be a pretty clear example of Hollywood Studios trying to react to the complaint of maybe there not being enough people getting on each day or just wanting to try to get as many people on uh, as possible. Yeah, I I mean, I totally agree that it's them trying new things. Hopefully this will like get, you know, those people who are, like you said before and in the past is that, you know, we have like people who are going there for their first time in a long time, or maybe first time ever, and they're not getting on the ride and that's going to ruin your whole trip. And that just, I mean, there's nothing like worse than looking forward to something and you're, you know, maybe you're even there, not even just one day you're there for multiple days and you, don't get a chance to ride this ride. Yeah, like it, me. Yeah, it, it seems ridiculous. But, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? You know, how do you tackle this problem? You know, I don't know if there's any, like, real clear answer to this. But, I mean, at least they're taking steps to try and address it. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, too, because, um, you know, my experience with – Galaxy's Edge when it opened last June was that it it seemed like and this is what I think Disney reported this as well that um you know that in the in the anticipation of Galaxy's Edge and the news being pretty consistently that it was going to be slammed it was going to be record attendance numbers good luck getting into Disneyland during this time because it was going to be just like that anticipation was so hot um and as a result of that it seemed like they scared tons of people away because i mean i can report firsthand when i was there for Galaxy's Edge i think it was that opening week um when they were doing those kind of by reservation only previews, the rest of the park was empty. It was like a walk on for almost everything. So, I, I mean, I wonder how much Disney risks with with this process as well, especially after they had those openings at Hollywood Studios, they had the opening at Disneyland, and word from everywhere was basically, "Hey, 
uh, you could go through the process of waking up early, getting into the park for opening and still not get a boarding pass. If you're not explicitly following the, the kind of directions of opening up the app as soon as the park opens, getting your boarding pass, and then hoping that you are under 80, um, for your boarding group. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard on Reddit and I wonder if this is the case elsewhere that people hear that and they hear people saying, I went to Disneyland for two days and only got on one of those days. Or I went to Disneyland for multiple days and, you know, I woke up early for the first two days, didn't get it. And then didn't even try that third day. I'm curious if that turns a lot of people off and they say, well, I'm just going to postpone my trip until things come down a little bit. I, I I believe you you that is correct. I think um as it is, I know multiple people who held off on going to Galaxy's Edge just because one they were, they heard all uh, the hype about like oh it's going to be slammed right. and then two it was like oh there's only one ride. So I'm going to wait to Rise of the Resistance opens. Now they're going to be hearing like hey you could get like get a boarding pass and still not even get on. So yes, I think that's going to like scare people off. But that being said, I mean, when is going to be the proper time to go? So they may wind up like holding off on any kind of trips like this year. And then what happens? They forget about it. They go somewhere else or something. So I think, um, I think, yeah, I think Disney really needs to figure something out. So they get that bad kind of, press about not getting on the ride out of the press, out of the media. So people feel comfortable taking a chance of coming in. I mean, when I go in, um, go in March, you know, thankfully, like I have multiple, I have reasons outside of riding the ride. Uh, but you know, the idea of taking that chance of trying to get in on the rise of resistance. I don't know if I'm going to be able to ride it. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to ride it. I think if anybody should ride it, it should be me. Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, you know, uh, people at work are going to be wondering, yeah. you know, how is it? And I mean, I imagine some people at work already know, but yeah. I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, it's a daunting idea of like going and it's then stressful. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think me and my wife have ever been there, been there at road drop, right. rope drop. Yeah. Trying to get her out the hotel room is, is an effort as it is. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I think I'm going to be able to do it. Uh, maybe my sister can help me. Uh, but my wife is definitely not a morning person. So, uh, it'll be interesting. wonder if this also, is adding a little bit of fire under Disney to really ensure that Avengers campus at Disney California adventure is open for summer. I mean, I know that between the time that they announced it and between the time that they then announced that it was going to be open for summer of 2020, it seemed like, wow, this is, especially when you think about how much time there was between the announcement of Galaxy's Edge and when Galaxy's Edge actually came out. I mean, I want to say Galaxy's Edge was announced, what, in like 2016, 2017? So you had multiple years of preparation to really um, to really look forward to that. And Avengers Campus feels like they just announced it, and now they're saying, yeah, it'll, and it'll be ready this summer, even though it is they're doing that same staggered launch. But still, 
it um, it seems like I'm I'm wondering if part of that is a response to try to um, kind of balance out the parks and maybe take off some of the steam of of uh, Rise of the Resistance. Because let's say if you can't ride Rise of the Resistance and maybe you're not lucky enough to get a boarding group, or if you're just like you know what I'm not I don't want to bother waking up as early as it takes to get a boarding group if that's still what they're doing. Um, maybe at least you have the consolation of like, Hey, there's a whole new land over in California adventure. You can check out, um, you know, it, it sounds like the Spider-Man ride is not an e-ticket. It sounds like it is, it is much like smugglers run was that it was kind of like not the primary attraction of the land. So that, that expectation is already set of like, it'll be fun. It won't be mind blowing. Um, so it seems like maybe that is that is expediting things. Well, I do I do believe that Avengers Campus opening so soon was to kind of alleviate some of that those crowds right. and make people feel like uh, less less uh, unfortunate for having to not be not being able to go to Disneyland and having to go to California adventure. But that being said, I think after the opening of galaxy's edge, I think we found that like, yeah, they didn't get so um, excited for galaxy's edge as, as much as Disney probably wanted. Right. Uh, so I think you're going to kind of have the same issue with Avengers campus. Right. Uh, I think this, from a publicity point of view of doing the staggered uh, ride launch, you get more like more out of your marketing. You know, you have something else to hit on the following year yeah. to get people into that land. But I think it does kind of hurt like after like, seeing what happened with galaxy's edge, people waiting until they get like two rides before mm -hmm. they really care about going to visit galaxy's edge. Right. I think you're going to have the same issue with Avengers campus where people are like, yeah, but they only have one ride. You know, so is it really worth me going in? So I think they need to, I mean, it, they need to get behind something to get people into Avengers campus a little bit more, um, given, you know, uh, the draw, the appeal of Marvel superheroes, especially Spider-Man is, uh, is a big, a big deal. I mean, doesn't it feel like though? So, you know, I know that again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, the Marvel expert at the table clearly, but, um, it seems like it's maybe a, if you're thinking about marketing and making the most bang for your buck, doesn't it seem like it would have made sense if it end game was coming out then, or if the, if the land was coming out a year earlier, or it seems like, you know, now Marvel's going into this sort of new phase and reintroducing you to a bunch of, of characters, some of which, you know, some of which you don't, but like, what is what? So question for you, what is the big Marvel movie this summer? Uh, wow. Uh, this summer you're going to have like a uh, black widow right. is probably going to be the closest to that. Um, I'm trying to remember what else, you know, I'm blanking on the, uh, the Marvel movies, but I think one of the things you have to also realize with in game, you, you already have like 
because of Endgame, Marvel is in your mind. Yeah. So uh, you don't have to really push a land for that. Right. I think right now the idea of having a land open up when you don't have Endgame is good because that keeps Marvel in your mind. Sure. Without having to like, you know... I mean, it's going to be already difficult to try and do a opening of a land with a big movie as it is. They actually, a lot of people probably don't know this, but they have, um, they, uh, Marvel always has like their summer movie, mm-hmm. uh, offering. They coincides with like the free comic book day. Ah, okay. So, um, I mean, given a lot of people don't know that right. it's becoming more and more popular, uh, but the problem is, is that there's not a lot of comic book shops around anymore. Yeah. So, but uh, I mean, they should, you know what? They should do that at Avengers campus. They may, they, never, they need to do that. I mean, Disneyland do that. DCA <laughs> do that. That seems crazy not to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't have some form of like comic books available, right. some kind of like little freebie comic all right, you ready? Here, here's 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 my spitball idea. What they should do, especially around the Spider-Man ride, is have you're gonna love this idea. I'm telling you right now. Um, so all I'm gonna seek is for confirmation that how much you love this at the end of this this point. But uh, have newspaper dispensers all around the new the the, the uh, Spider-Man ride. Theme them to Daily Bugle. Have like have it be like you know fifty cents or something like that. And you get a Spider-Man comic. That's that sounds really awesome. There you go, right? Yeah, and then I mean, it, it's something easy they could do. I would like to see them do something like that. Oh, I that'd mean, be so great! Uh, tying in actually like a comic book into that. Yeah. You know, it. I mean, I you know I could see them doing. that. Oh man. Well, speaking of Spider-Man ride coming to. Um, the upcoming Avengers campus. We have more details in a video. It's a very short video, but it's a video nonetheless showing off this Spider-Man Stuntronics robot. Um, so uh, this was something that Disney released throughout all of their social media. And I think on their YouTube account as well, but it showed off a very realistic looking Spider-Man kind of robot figure swinging through the air. Um, and as we've been talking about, this is all for the opening of Avengers campus and the opening of that Spider-Man ride, which opens with it. Um, And the way that Disney is describing how you're going to interact and encounter this robot is uh, quote, guests visiting Disney California adventure park in the near future may be able to catch a glimpse of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man himself swinging above the rooftops of Avengers campus. So, and in some of the concept art that they showed of, I think specifically the Spider-Man ride, there is like a, a crane right in front of it. And there is a Spider-Man swinging around kind of on that crane. It looks like it's above the queue. That seems maybe a little too kind of up close and personal maybe, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like, it seems like if they're going to deliver on that concept art, that's what this, that's what the stunt tronic really is going to be. I'm really excited to see what it looks like. I mean, that would be completely awesome because for, I mean, a lot of people probably don't know this, but um, when people think of comic books, I'm sure a lot of people think of like Batman, Superman, 
No. Guess who makes the most money in merch? Who? And it's Spider-Man. And it's Dark Horse. It's <laughs> it's crazy how much more money Spider-Man is valued at compared to like Batman and Superman. Given Batman has a ton of movies. Yeah. He's got a ton of movies out there. And there's a ton of Batman merch. But I would say that I think what I last saw, the figures I saw, like Batman brings in about half mm. of what Spider-Man brings in. They don't have uh yeah, I mean they don't have a cool animatronic Batman swinging around. Well, I mean you think of Spider-Man, he is the like you know, down on your luck, uh, superhero that most people can relate to. Plus he, he's actually PG. So he appeals to kids. You don't feel too bad about showing like your, uh, your little one, uh, uh, Spider-Man. Whereas far as Batman, you know, he is a little bit scary, but darker and darker. Yeah. I mean, then you would think that Superman would, uh, you know, be, maybe more popular since he is very like, you know, the boy scout of the DC universe. But, uh, I think, uh, the problem with that is that he was a little too perfect. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of hard for people to kind of relate to that, but you know, Spider-Man relatable. And, and I mean, he was really, so he was like the fur that was, that character was the kickoff for kind of what you would say is like, it's like, I feel like Spider-Man and X-Men were the kickoff points for what you would think of as like the modern superhero explosion. Yeah. I mean, you have like Spider-Man who's like, you know, the everyday guy, people can relate to him. Uh, X-Men was a way that, uh, you know, you could actually address like topical issues here in, in the world without actually like making like, actual reference to those issues and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it makes sense that those two, you know, Marvel was always, uh, Stanley was always big on like actually like addressing, you know, issues in today's society, but trying to do it in a way where it wasn't necessarily so in your face, but you know, it's always there. Well, we are mere months away from that land and this and this ride, this new ride opening up. So we're going to start getting even more details. So it, it it's pretty exciting. I mean, it, when you, I think the other thing I thought about just to just to quickly touch on this too, uh, with the animatronic was like, this is where we're at. We're at the point where they're suiting robots up as superheroes and swinging them around, and they look. I mean, it was, again, it was a very short clip, maybe 30 seconds or so, but it looks really good. And so it seems like if, if this is going to be successful, I, I imagine it is, but if it, if they're able to pull this off, like where are they going to go? Especially, you know, when you think about the scope of uh, an attraction with rise of the resistance and then the, the technical feats that they're able to accomplish with these animatronics, it, 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 I mean, like What's next? Well, I mean, I'm excited for it because this means that, you know, one of the things that I kind of had issue with Galaxy's Edge is that it doesn't feel um, as, as uh, I don't know, aesthetically, like, uh, filled, you know? Like, there, yeah. you don't see a bunch of aliens walking around. You, you do see the, you know, stormtroopers every now and then right. and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to be in a Avengers campus, 
you want to see superheroes and you don't want to just see them, you know, standing there like waving at you for a picture. Right. You know, you want to see like Spider-Man swinging around. So that, yeah, that adds to the experience. So I hope they, I don't know who else they'll bring into that, but I want to see like, you know, one of my wife's favorite things is to see the queen popping out of the, the castle in right. fantasy land. So, I mean, it's like, you know, seeing things like this really like adds to the ambiance of a land. And I want to just see more of it. Yeah. They did talk about, um, I think it was when they were first initially talking about Avengers campus this might've been at D 23. Um, they were, they did make some mention of, of uh, superheroes kind of congregating and looking out up from where the Quinjet is going to be for their e-ticket attraction when that opens up with mm-hmm. phase two. So, I mean, it seems like they're building it with the explicit kind of design purpose of there to be areas where superheroes can be doing things, even if it's just looking at you. But <laughs> well, I mean, this this is this goes a long way to like actually make them feel like they are superheroes and yeah. not just some guy in a costume, you know, you know. So you know, it feels more appropriate. So I mean, I'm excited to see. I want to see what this thing can do. What what if I mean, you're going to start getting autographs and having character encounters, and you're going to be like, are you? human it's 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 like the start of very west world kind of vibes of just like are you are you real or are you and then he turns to you and says henry what is real and that's when things get crazy then they, then they start chopping off heads and start taking over the domination of i don't think we're getting that far yet. no all right we're a little ways from that <laughs> yeah i i don't think we have to worry about yeah, that so they're saving times. that for the expansion of the avengers campus uh, maybe <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so we were talking about Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Um, uh, uh, we have a little bit of a, a return from uh, their opening um, their opening period. Sporks have returned to Docking Bay 7 at Disneyland Resort. Um, so when Galaxy's Edge first opened, if you ordered a meal at Galaxy at 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 Docking Bay 7 specifically, um, I think they would give it, they would either give you a spork or you could request a, it was like an all metal spork. And so I think the idea was, it was like additional kind of theming to make it feel like you were in this sort of industrial cafeteria at this docking bay. And so, um, because a lot of people showed us why we can't have nice things, uh, people just started pocketing these sporks. And they started showing up on eBay for like $50 uh, to, you know, a pop. And so I want to say that they did have them when I was there that opening week. But I I believe that by the time that the land opened to the public, maybe they weren't doing them anymore. Um, I don't know if it was it was a limited run or if they were just like, what are we going to do? Like, this is expensive to make these all metal forks that, you know, sporks that just keep disappearing. So. I don't know, pretty wild, but um, they have returned to Disneyland Park, but this time they're for sale. So if you are interested in a spork, they will uh, ask for $11 in exchange for it. Um, and they do look cool. They they look like the original sporks. I think they come in kind of like a decorative little pouch uh, as well that has some arabesh and some other kind of fun themed stuff. But yeah, for 11 bucks, you can 
get a metal Star Wars spork. Uh, this is only at Disneyland right now. No word on if this is coming to Hollywood Studios, but I imagine if they make enough money, it's going to come that way as well. Oh, yeah. I imagine so. Uh, I guess maybe this might be something good if you're like into like, you know, you, know, you want to save the environment, you know, you just carry this around with you and you don't need to get all those plastic spoons or plastic forks through while you're in Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, interesting. I mean, definitely interesting. Uh, you know, you would think they would have one maybe more, uh, you know, toy story based, you know, right. But you know, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, who, who knows? All, all I know is that, uh, I would be surprised if I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't put it past this to happen, but I would be surprised if this becomes a, a super hot selling item. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, when, when I was there for that galaxy's edge opening, I definitely saw many, many, many people trying to buy everything that they could and then running inventory once they got outside of the land for stuff for all of that stuff, which was they were going to put on eBay and try to sell and try to pocket for a profit. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty wild. The scavengers were very active. So um, hopefully this, hopefully the demand is at least not there enough so that, you know, this, this kind of combats that from happening. I, I imagine they're not going to spend $11 to sell it, to sell you a $20 spork. And hopefully that's, that's done. That's, it was pretty ridiculous. It's probably just because of the opening at that time. And it was something that you could only get there, uh, within that. Well, I mean, of course now it was only something that you could get at that time. So, you know, you know, people try and grab anything and put it up on eBay as soon as possible. So, you know, at this point, I doubt people would do that. Anyway, so finally, the the big story uh, this week. So Fantasy Springs expansion, which is the eighth port of call is what they call their lands uh, at Disney Sea, has announced that they are going to uh, that that land is going to be delayed until 2023. So by about a year, um, this report also comes from WDW News Today. Uh, and this is officially from the Oriental Land Company, which I think has controlling interests in Disney uh, to- or Tokyo Disney Resort. So both of those parks there. Um, so just as a reminder, um, that the area is named fantasy Springs. Um, and the concept of it was, it was kind of your favorite sort of fantasy themed, um, kind of movies brought to life. So they've announced already. And and in their announcement, initially they announced that there were going to be kind of three sub areas. So you were going to have frozen, you were going to have tangled and you were going to have Peter Pan to never, never land themed areas. Um, this was from, uh, I think it was a 2018 announcement. And the other key uh, features of this land that they announced were a, a luxury hotel that is going to be placed within the land itself. Um, and four completely brand new rides, not like Frozen Ever After from Epcot that's been packaged and and kind of recreated. This is These are going to be completely brand new Imagineer rides uh, designed explicitly for um, these areas within this land. Um, and final piece, this delay that, uh, that they've announced doesn't affect, uh, any of the overall plans. So all of those, the attractions, the, um, the areas themselves and the hotel are all, uh, are all still on the, on the plan. 
Oh, I mean, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Tokyo Disney Sea, I think uh, for me was something that I had never really heard much about. Right. Uh, but from everything I see, it is amazing. And uh, I think, uh, I mean, I'm usually like, as long as the delay is keeping everything, like everything is still happening, I'm all for it if it means a better quality, you know, uh, experience. So the delay is probably good. Yeah. You know, I'd rather it be delayed than it be rushed out too soon. And cause your first experience with it is, it's going to stick with you. So a good experience is always what, what you want. Um, but you know, overall Disney sea, I'm really, I really, really want to experience Disney Sea at some point, dude. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was lucky enough to check it out last year when I was in Japan, and I mean, really, it does, really does live up to the hype. And you know, I think the the thing that people oftentimes discuss with Disney Sea and what makes it so great is that it is really a completely 100% unique theme park in um in all of the Disney areas in that. You know, it's not too reliant on general Disney IP, but um, but also so it's more kind of, um, you know, the concept of Disney Sea really is just it's these various different ports of call, both kind of real and imaginary. And so you've got kind of this 1920s New York with this huge, you know, like ocean liner that's built into it. That's where. Um, Hollywood uh, uh, Tower of Terror is. Um, then they've got kind of their Jules Verne themed area. They've got an Arabian Nights themed area. So, I mean, it really does feel like something different in that it's not a traditional fantasy land or it's not a traditional kind of, um, of Disney park. And, you know, you've been to Tokyo Disneyland, so you know this as well, but it's like one of the great things about Tokyo, the Tokyo parks is that they put so much care and attention and I'm sure a lot more money into each and every one of their attractions and just the general parks. And it really shows, I mean, um, you know, even, even rides that are, are from other locations. So the Indiana Jones ride, it's essentially the same ride that is in Disneyland uh, park in California, but it is, I mean, much more, um, the sets are much more elaborate. The queue is much more elaborate. Even outside, you know, where um, it looks like you're entering in a temple, it feels much larger. And like, like the stage that they're setting is much, is much more, um, is much more epic. And the scenes in Disneyland, California, where you feel like, ah, they're a little little on the cheaper side and maybe it's not always working. Um, everything pretty much always worked at, uh, at Tokyo and, you know, they just dip, they just don't cheap out. It seems like. So I think, I think what you're saying is makes total sense and is right. They're not going to cut corners at this park. Um, I think the two things that really stood out to me within, I would say the announcement for this new land. So um, one is that it really is, IP heavy. And so, like I was saying, part of the charm of Disney Sea is that it is very light on IP. Even when you do have IP, I think that the heaviest kind of themed IP port or land that they had was Ariel's Undersea Kingdom from Little Mermaid. And so that is themed to be, you know, 
from Little Mermaid movie. And it is beautiful. It's done extremely well, but it's kind of the one area that's themed. Even, I would say, even with even with rides that are similar, so Tower of Terror has its own unique kind of original theme. It's not Twilight Zone. It's not um, it's not Guardians of the Galaxy. It's its own kind of thing. And I think that helps it in that it really does create a unique experience that, you know, they could kind of focus on really on making it something that it's, you know, making it its own as opposed to trying to just give you kind of a different spin on what you already have. So it's nice to hear that there are completely new attractions being built. So it's not like we have to, I mean, worry is the wrong word, but they've got, you know, Disneyland already has Peter Pan. It does, it does feel though that this eighth port, this fantasy Springs is more of a Disneyland land as opposed to a Disney sea port. Well, I think um, if you look at it, I, I think of it as kind of like, this is like, Tokyo Disneyland's California Adventure. Uh, it's nice when they they do have their own kind of uh, thing going on, but I think this is their uh, way of making sure that people know this is still a Disney experience. And while um, you know, while it's good to have your own thing, it's also good to keep it kind of. Uh, maybe this is more of something for more for the kids and stuff. So I think California adventure, uh, initially, uh, when you looked at it, it was like, it was very adult oriented. Um, and then they, they made attempts, uh, they had the bugs life land as an attempt to kind of make something for like children for there, but, uh, Redwood challenge trail. Yeah. Um, I think this may be their way of trying to make it more like friend, kid friendly, uh, or maybe if it's like, if you're only, yeah, to that point, it's like, if you only have enough time to go to one park, you still, and you go to Disney sea, which would be the right choice. Uh, it, you at least still get Disney IP. You still feel yeah. like you're in a Disney park. Yeah. I mean, you, you still want to have that feeling and you want them to like, technically maybe this is their way of like, you're at Disney Sea makes you want to go to Disney Tokyo Disneyland, yeah, because uh, you get that little taste of uh, of Disney, and you're like, oh, you know what? This reminds me of this uh, of the Peter Pan ride, and I want to go ride that the proper ride, and yeah. it's a way of tying it all together. Yep. I mean, uh, you know, Disney's all into like having everything kind of tied together, so you kind of like you have that experience. Now go have this other experience and in keeping them, keeping everybody within that kind of that, that loop, that uh, cycle of, of Disney experiences and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's good marketing. Corporate synergy. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And then also having like the ability to stay in the park is at a hotel is, is pretty cool. And so that was the second, kind of uh, announcement that caught my eye as part of that initial um, press release uh, announcing the land. But the fact that they're going to have not only a second hotel, but that it is also located in the park because the Miracosta, which is the, the hotel that already exists in Disney sea is also in the park. Uh, but that it's also going to be luxury, which is what the Miracosta. I think the way that they describe the hotel um, is that it is a deluxe hotel with a, a luxury wing that is, I think the way that they described it was it is the most luxurious kind of Disney 
experience, hotel experience that you can have, which I mean, says a lot. <laughs> that's, that's high expectations at that point. But uh, you know, if you are, um, if you're interested in staying at a Disney resort hotel, uh, you know, it's certainly, I mean, unless you really pay up, you're not going to be staying at the Disney sea places. Um, already, I mean, the Miracosta is incredible. Everything I've seen about it, you basically have to be logged in and ready to purchase your room the second that they release that um, the availability for for rooms for whatever date you're going. Mm. I mean, they go instantly because they're it's such a popular hotel. Um, so, yeah, I mean that it, again. It seemed like they're clearly going for. Uh, premium experience all the way with this and you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't surprise me either also, cause it seems like Disney is starting, I mean, not starting, but, uh, kind of leaning into doing more like hotel experiences, putting like, well, what are we going to do? I mean, we can have another hotel, but they're doing these high end hotels now and I mean, not that they didn't have these before, but it seems like these are now becoming a bigger, uh, a bigger thing on their radar yeah. to actually like do. Cause like we have that one opening up in, in Florida, which will be, uh, you know, star Wars themed, which I mean, all intents and purposes is going to be an amazing experience, but it's also going to be really expensive. So it does give you, it does give you a, view into their strategy too, because like we've been talking about there, there is massive expansion going on at every single Disney park. There are no Disney parks right now that do not have some major expansion planned. Right. And so, I, I mean, I guess now that galaxy's edge is done, there's no major expansion on the books for Disneyland. There's refurbishments, but not major expansion that we know of. Yeah. That we know of yet. We're still holding out on Tomorrowland. Come on, baby. The expanded new Tomorrowland. But, um, but regardless, I mean, so let's include galaxy's edge in that. I mean, everybody's having some major either rides or expansion or something. And so it seems like the logic kind of like what you're saying, the logic on Disney side, and especially from their business synergy is, well, we're bringing in more people. They got to have somewhere to go. Well, not only that, but it's also into their, like, how do we get them into the experience yeah. without being in the park? Right. How do we, how do yeah. we get them even earlier? I mean, it, it kind of goes against my belief in how much you spend on a hotel. Cause when I go to a hotel, it's just a place for me to sleep. I'm spending most of my time in the parks. Mm -hmm. So like by the time I get to the, the hotel, I'm, pretty wiped out. So I don't really need a super fancy hotel. Um, but I imagine if I had a lot of kids and, and I, I think what you might actually see with these type of hotels, you get people who like, maybe, maybe they only stay for a day, but they choose to stay a whole day just at the hotel. Mm -hmm. And then then they go to the parks like the following days or whatever, where they actually dedicate a whole day to just stay in hotels. So you're almost getting like a whole nother, like, I guess I wouldn't say a park, but a whole nother experience on your trip. So, I mean, this is definitely uh, interesting grounds that they're like kind of entering. So, I mean, 
it, they're, they're basically, they're coming at you in another direction that it's kind of maybe like, you're not really thinking that they're bringing you, but they're bringing you in. Right. You know, this is just another way of like, I mean, I imagine if you stayed at some of these hotels, especially like the star Wars one, you're going to have memories for a lifetime just from like one day at that, at that hotel. So, yeah. uh, it's and it's, it's like, um, it, uh, it really is kind of like what you're saying, right? If, if it, this is somebody's one time trip or if it's like a trip of a lifetime, then, uh, you know, that option's there for them to go big. And also, I mean, it should be said anytime you have a hotel in the middle of a park, it's awesome and incredible. And they don't have a ton of those options right now, but you know, it, it, between star Wars hotel and this new hotel opening up in Disney sea, uh, that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. I mean, either way it's win-win for Disney. I mean, they're not going to, none of these are going to like lose them any money. And if anything, it's just going to start like, I don't know if they're going to just, you're going to start seeing more of these pop up throughout the other parks. Maybe. I mean, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, so speaking of, of kind of the ultimate uh, Disney experience and and um, and hotels and how all of that interplays, uh, I uh, I want to just touch on my experience at Disneyland Paris, um, which I just got back from last month. Uh, so just a little background. Um, initially, we, uh, my wife and um, my daughter and I were going to go out to Paris and have a, a kind of a end of the year vacation celebration and uh, enjoy the holiday, uh, you know, the Christmas uh, shops and just kind of that jolly vibe around uh, Paris. And then also spend a couple of days at um, Disneyland Paris towards the end of it before flying home. So unfortunately, uh, there were massive strikes going on in Paris at the time, which happens from time to time. But uh, it was one of those things where we were looking at the news and being like, oh no, like hopefully it doesn't affect us. Hopefully it doesn't affect us. So of course it it totally affected us. Um, and so, um, so that meant that we had to go somewhere else on vacation at the last minute. There was a major airport strike. Um, but, uh, for, uh, I, I already had Disney tickets booked. And so while it was a little much to ask my wife and daughter to immediately hop on my two-year-old daughter to immediately hop onto a flight to go to Paris after we got back from our other vacation, which we had to, had to kind of book last minute. Um, I ended up going solo. So I booked a, a last minute flight out to Paris and uh, booked hotels. And surprisingly, it might've been that a lot of people were kind of freaked out about it, but I was able to find a decent last minute flight out to uh, Paris and a couple of of the value hotel availability at uh, Disney Cheyenne and Disney Santa Fe. And initially I was booked at the Sequoia Lodge, which is their sort of take on the Grand Californian. I think that's a moderate um, but I wasn't able to find availability there. So I had to, I had to forgo that, but I thought it was still a pretty good opportunity to, to check out kind of on the cheaper side of things. I was able to find availability for like $150 a night for both places. So um, not bad, not bad at all. 
uh, considering we were on site. There's also tons of local hotels uh, around there, like most other Disney parks that um, that have their own shuttles into the park. And yeah, I mean, why didn't I get a call, man? If you had, <laughs> if I what? If you you were going by yourself, you could have gave me. A oh call, my man. god! Well, uh, you're right. That's my bad. Next time, next time you're gonna come. It'll be perfect. Uh, I, I enjoy, I'm just a masochist. I enjoy the, the lonely, uh, Disney experience. Well, um, I mean, you, you can go and you just have to go and you don't have to worry about somebody else. Like, like me, like, Oh, well, I want to watch this stuff. And yeah, I don't even know if you're allowed outside of the country, Henry. Oh, I am. Oh, you, now you are. Oh, I'm, I'm allowed out. You I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know if they'll let me back in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, always a concern. So, um, yeah, so I had everything booked and I flew out there uh, and I ended up. So normally what you can do is they actually have it pretty well connected to the train system out there. So you can fly into Charles de Gaulle Airport and then take a train for I think it's like an hour or something like that to uh, to Disneyland. And they actually have a service where once you get to the main kind of Disney station. Um, you can drop off your bags at, they have a desk there. Those bags get taken to your hotel room. It's kind of like a check-in at the um, at the desk and then they give you your tickets and you can just go right in there. So it's an awesome service. Again, there are strikes going on. I didn't get to benefit from it. Oh, uh, and I, It's too bad, I know. And, I, and also the way that my flight worked out, I arrived at like 10 p.m., so, um, so it was late. So I ended up hiring kind of like a private driving service, which wasn't too bad. It was like 65 bucks or something like that. Um, more than I would have liked to spend, but, oh, well, what are you going to do? Uh, the other option, which I did use to get back, uh, to the airport was there is a, it's a third party run service called, I think it's magic shuttle, Disney's magic shuttle, uh, Disneyland Paris magic shuttle, but it's basically kind of like a large tour bus that it's like $20 basically. And you can, they'll pick you up from the hotel or from the, um, from the airport. There's a meetup spot where you hop onto the, uh, to the bus. They'll drop you off at your hotel or at the entrance to the park and vice versa. So I use that getting back to return, uh, super easy. It's just their hours are a little more limited. So they didn't have anything running at, at 10 PM. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it seems like outside of us, like there's so much better, like public transportation. Oh yeah. Transportation available to these parks and everything. So, uh, well, and really it's outside of Disneyland, California, because they, they have the, mm. they have the shuttle buses at Orlando where, you know, they, they have that pretty well set up. I think you know, it's basically, you can tag even your luggage from any checked luggage with the, um, with, uh, they'll send you a pass. You can tag it. They'll pick up your luggage and drop it off at your hotel room, uh, directly. So, uh, and then, you know, it's basically, I think it's, they have buses running like every 15, 20 minutes. So th they have their stuff on lock, uh, different experience, obviously. I mean, as we've kind of discussed, Disneyland, California is more of a locals park, but I digress. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I arrived, it was an easy check-in, um, the benefit, like most Disney parks of staying at a resort hotel is that you get early entry the next day. Um, so, uh, the first night was at Cheyenne. It was a pretty basic hotel. Um, not even too themed. It wasn't very well themed on the inside. The outside was kind of nice. It was, it was a cars kind of theme where it felt very kind of like desert 
sort of Monument Valley. Mm. I think they had a um, they had a kind of a big billboard with uh, Lightning McQueen and a couple of the other Cars characters. So that was kind of fun arriving to. And then, like I said, once I got into the room, it was pretty it's pretty bare bones. Not a big deal. Um, and Deer Springs uh, little like a uh, setup there. That's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, like it would have been nice if it would have carried through more to the room, but um, but. For my purposes, totally cool. Like I arrived so late at night anyway. By the time I got there, um, passed out. Went to the parks, and it was. And they have a system similar to any of the Disney parks, uh, certainly like Orlando, where they have shuttles that arrive and take you to um, the Disneyland Resort gate, and then you can kind of parks are set up very similarly to Disneyland and California adventure where you kind of arrive at the same spot and then can choose to either go to the left for Walt Disney studios park or go to the right to, um, to Disneyland Paris. So I started out at Disneyland Paris. I had two days there. Day one was all Disneyland Paris. Day two was split between Walt Disney studios and Disneyland Paris. Um, I probably, would have added a third day if I would have had the flexibility, but two felt pretty good in terms of what I was able to do. Uh, so my initial impressions of Disneyland Paris or that it is such an incredible park. It is beautiful. You know, you enter through the gates of the Disneyland hotel in Paris, which is incredible. I mean, it looks like something out of like a fairy tale in and of itself. Um, it's supposed to be incredibly nice. It's also incredibly expensive. So you walk through it and already you're, you're, you're feeling really good about where you're going and you see that castle and it really is. I mean, it is the most beautiful and kind of detailed castle out of any of the, any of the storybook kind of parks, any of the classic Disneyland's or magic kingdom. It's huge. It's really big. Yeah. And, and, um, more so than any of the other castles, you actually can walk into it and around and roam around in it. Um, and they have it set up so that it's, you know, all of the, the kind of Disney princesses are represented there in some way. They have some stories that you can look at and beautiful kind of paintings and murals. And it's just the overall design inside is incredible. You're allowed to um, go outside and be kind of up around one of the towers. And it is, you can look out into fantasy land and it's just really is amazing. And, uh, and also it has one of the most unique aspects of any of the castles in that there's a, there's a, there's a dragon in the basement below in the dungeon. So you can, it's not, they don't, they don't even advertise it very well. It's not like they're big signs, but if you, if you explore around or you know where to go, you can kind of loop around underneath the castle to the side rather than kind of go up the main entrance. If you loop around to the side, there is a, um, there's a sign that says like, you know, this is the, the layer of the dragon, the dragon's layer. Although it, it does kind of perplex me the fact that they did not theme the dragon after Maleficent. It's not a Maleficent dragon. It is not. Uh, I think that's a kind of a missed opportunity, yeah. but I mean, I guess probably when it was made, they weren't, you know, I mean, I still don't know why they didn't go with Maleficent, but they wouldn't know that Maleficent now would be as, as big as, as she is. But I mean, Oh, well, I mean, they have, so I think on the sign, even they have the kind of Maleficent horn. So yeah, I don't know why they didn't do that. I mean, it, uh, you're right. It is a missed opportunity. It is still incredible. Like it really is a detailed animatronic. It is kind of in chains over this kind of really kind of like foggy, very atmospheric pit, 
but it raises its head. It kind of thrashes around. It shoots smoke out of its out of its nostrils. It kind of roars. I mean, it really, it really is an effective. Uh, it really is an effective um, uh, uh, effect. Yeah, just in general. So, yeah, it was really incredible. Um, so, so yeah. So the castle was incredible. Um, the overall feeling of Disneyland Paris it didn't feel like it was at, laid out in the same way as a traditional Disney park where you kind of have your your central kind of hub that then the lands are kind of spoked out. Um, they kind of go off from there so you can be in that center and kind of see the entrances to each land. Um, it kind of is that way in that right before the castle, you can enter in a bunch of the lands, but at least for me, um, and I may be totally wrong here, but I definitely had to wander a little bit to figure out where everything was. It definitely is a park that feels like it's built for exploration, which is a lot of fun. Um, even more so than, you know, the original Disneyland or Magic Kingdom or any of the other parks that I've been to. Um, it really does feel like there's just so many details that are there to explore around in. There's a lot of there's a lot of attractions that are just kind of either walk through or kind of walk around and just kind of go at your own leisure and check out. Um, but then they have kind of the classic attractions, and generally speaking, I mean the classic attractions are awesome. Like it is, you know, they've got the, um, they've got Pinocchio and Snow White and Peter Pan, which are all pretty much the exact same attractions from what I could tell, save for maybe a yeah. small little change. But do they have Mr. Toads? No, of course not. Uh, Disneyland is still the only park that has Mr. Toad. I mean, they do have a restaurant that is themed to Toad Hall that was unfortunately closed. But I mean, I mean it's Europe, so... Mr. Toad should be there wreaking havoc. <laughs> it's a slam dunk. I mean, he should be the unofficial mascot of the park. I agree um, for sure. But uh, so, yeah, no Mr. Toads, but uh, they did kind of have the mainstays, like I said, that were what you would expect and kind of what you remember. Not not the plussed up versions that you find in uh, in Shanghai, but the same general versions that you find at the other parks. Um, but uh, but. Uh, uh, Big Thunder Mountain and uh, and Pirates of the Caribbean and um, and Haunted Mansion. It's known as Phantom Manor. There, all three of those are pretty much they're up there with some of the best versions of that ride. Man, now the Big Thunder Mountain that's on an island. And it's on an island in it, the middle it of amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean. You need to tell me how riding that was. So it was it was amazing. I mean, uh, Big Thunder Mountain in Disneyland Paris in general, it is faster, it is louder, and in general, it's just, it feels a lot wilder than any of the other versions. Uh, it's definitely the best version of that ride. Um, and so, right, exactly. It starts with you kind of seeing it. Anytime you're in that area, in their frontier land, um, you know, Thunder Mesa, which is what their their Frontierland is kind of. They have a whole really great integrated story for Frontierland that ties in Big Thunder Mountain with uh, Phantom Manor, which is which is awesome in and of itself. But anytime you're in that area, you see and hear that island in the middle of 
um, you know, they, they call it the rivers of the West. It would be rivers of America for, for us. But, um, but so you see that Island and you hear that Island and thunder, the, the train cars are so loud. The clacking is so loud. The whistles are so loud because it's hitting that water and traveling through it. It's just impossible not to see it. And so the queue entrance is actually on the other side of it. So it's in that main kind of area of Thunder Mesa. So when you ride it for the first time, you're not exactly sure how you're going to get to the island. Um, but you pretty much immediately go underground into a tunnel. You get like maybe uh, a couple of seconds of sunlight and then you immediately, you know, launch down into this tunnel. And, um, and from there you kind of zoom around a little bit in the dark and then you enter the kind of classic rainbow caverns section. Um, but like I said, it is so loud. It seemed like everybody around was kind of covering their ears or just trying to deaden the noise a little bit because it is like, it is just, it's getting you really fired up because it's so loud. You go through those rainbow caverns and you come out and when your eyes adjust to the sun, you're on that island and it is moving fast. They usually had, it seemed like two or three cars running at a time. And there were definitely a few scenes where you're kind of crossing over. So you have it would have a track that would your track would loop around um, or kind of, you know, uh, zip around to the right. And underneath another train would be coming out of a tunnel and going the other direction. And so um, so you definitely constantly are feeling like, man, there's these all these different trains kind of going in various directions. Uh, you're you're um, careening around the edge of the the island, oftentimes kind of off to the side. So it feels like, you know, you're you're dipping down and very close to the water. That splash that you hit that would normally be kind of where that um the T-Rex fossil yeah. is, is instead just kind of like in the middle of the lake. <laughs> so yeah. in the middle of the river. So, um, so yeah, so you're going through it. It's kind of, uh, like I said, it feels very much like a plussed up big thunder. And then at the end you dip back down into, or I, I don't think you actually go down, you go into like a shed and that's when you dip down. And then when you come right back up, you're right at the entrance to the queue. So when you enter the ride, you pretty much pass by um, the exit tunnel where that train kind of flies out very briefly. Mm. Uh, and then you, you come back in. So, I mean, it really, like I said, far and away, best version of big thunder mountain. Um, so, you know, that is so awesome. Uh, like I said, the, um, the phantom manor is incredible. It is very much like, uh, it is very much like haunted mansion, but with its own kind of take. So it just recently went through, I want to say in the, in the summertime, it went through a pretty large refurbishment that, um, altered the, it, I don't know if it altered the story a little bit, but it kind of, they really enhanced the story element. So it was a lot clearer kind of what the story that they were trying to put across was. They, um, they plussed up a lot of the, the queue line areas. They brought back Vincent Price's kind of narration. He's the narrator throughout the entire experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you have, uh, you have that, but, uh, how's the lighting in there? Lighting is fantastic. It really is atmospheric. And, and one of the, one of the best kind of parts of it. And really, I think this is the defining characteristic of Disneyland Paris is that, especially if you're familiar with Disneyland, California or magic kingdom, um, if you're it really is kind of like you 
feel very familiar, but right when you feel like, oh, I've seen all of this before, they hit you with something completely new. So the first half of Phantom Manor feels very, very, very similar to um, the other versions of the Haunted Mansion, but pretty much as soon as you, um, as soon as you exit the um, the attic kind of scene, you know, that's right after the ballroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as you exit that, all of a sudden you encounter the, they call it the phantom, who's kind of the main antagonist, if you will. And he sends you into the crypt. So where you would normally kind of, um, where you would normally continue on into the graveyard, graveyard. at um, at the at the versions of the Haunted Mansion that I'm used to, uh, you instead go underground. And so the idea is and so you encounter like these these um these caskets and kind of like uh they're sort of rotting skeletons that are reaching out at you and it definitely has a a, a, a feels like it has a little bit more teeth than the than the um kind of normal haunted mansion so you continue on down there and then you part of the whole story of that thunder mesa area is that they literally uh that they built uh the new thunder mesa on top of this old Thunder Mesa that either got, I think got hit by like an earthquake or something like that. So they built it on top of these ruins. So as you're down underground, you go through the old Thunder Mesa uh, that has all of these ghosts that are still kind of residing in there. Um, and then you, and then you pretty much exit out. So it, it, like I said, it was like a perfect balance. Do they have hitchhikers? They don't have the hitchhikers. The, oh. the hitchhiking ghosts aren't there. Uh, when you're when you're exiting, uh, to when they show you the the you kind of go by the mirrors that would show like oh you're taking home one of the hitchhiking ghosts, yeah. they don't have that. Um, they have the the bride like the whole story centers around uh, you know this kind of forlorn bride that uh, who is the daughter of the phantom that the phantom keeps killing her uh, love interests and so oh. she's kind of this um, this tragic figure. They show her in your. Um, in your doom, uh, doom buggy. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, so that's pretty much it. So like I said, it, it is, I, my favorite is still the original haunted mansion. Um, you know, it still feels like it, you really do feel like it's this, this whole kind of historic, uh, piece that just works together so well. And, um, but like I said, for, for a companion, uh, ride to it, this is, this was perfect. I'm sorry really to good. say that the Nightmare Before, Before Christmas version is is now my favorite. Is it mainly one of the reasons for it is uh, uh, is just how much they gussy up the outside. Yeah, and then also the lighting is so much better. Yeah, it's true. You can actually see what's going on. Yeah, uh, I mean, I had a you know we have a friend who went through it, and she was frustrated. Because when she went on the ride, the lighting was so low. Mm. She even told the ride attendants, and they were like, "Oh no, that's the, they had this whole spiel going on." And she's like, "No, sure. I've, I ride this thing like like a couple times a, a month uh, since she lives in the area, and the lighting is too low." Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, you know the, the the Nightmare Before Christmas makes it a lot brighter. So I can actually see the stuff. The other thing is, of course, is the gingerbread spray. Oh, yeah. oh, you know, when I lost my sense of smell and then my sense of smell came back and that was the first smell that I really did. It it was very impactful for me. Jeez, man. 
feel like I feel like there's quite the story uh, in you losing your sense of smell. That's pretty wild. Uh, uh, <laughs> for another time, we'll save it for another time. Not really. <laughs> not that interesting. No. You got to come up with a really interesting uh, story behind. Uh, it. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't that wouldn't be right. All right. Well. Uh, well, I'll tell you what was right. So the other third kind of major highlight in terms of classic rides that have been that kind of have a new take is uh, is the Pirates of the Caribbean. So uh, it is, again, very similar to what you would expect. Uh, it's got all of the same kind of major scenes that you come to expect, but the ride is almost entirely done in reverse. So the initial Pirates of the Caribbean uh, at Disneyland and at um at uh, Magic Kingdom is you, you know, you start off kind of in, if you were to, I don't know, to, to coin a phrase, you start off in the real world, right? And in Disneyland's version anyway, you go through the swamps and then you go down those, uh, the, the hills. And then you're kind of in this world of pirates. Uh, and so Disneyland Paris's version, you actually go up. So their show building is above kind of where you start off. So you do start going through a kind of like a Caribbean um, kind of setting. Uh, you pass by, they have a version of, it's not the Blue Bayou. I forget what they call their restaurant, but they've got another restaurant that's right there in the in the kind of uh, initial area of the ride. But then you go up through this lift hill and they still have, I don't know if you remember it, but they used to have this at Disneyland. I think they still have this at Magic Kingdom too. Um, but they've got like that fog curtain mm. where they project uh, Davy, Jones Davy Jones and they project Blackbeard on it. They still have that at Paris. Um, but then pretty much when you hit the top of that, you are uh, you go through uh, the scenes with the the, uh, the pirates that are offering, that are trying to escape from the uh, the jail cell. The jail cell. And so you, you start off in that Spanish uh, fort. And oh, okay. you're going through this destroyed Spanish fort. And there's a couple of scenes where you can actually look down at where you're going to go. It's kind of foreshadowing and you can see the big ship. Um, and so that was pretty awesome. But, it, it, and so, and so you're going through that and then you go through a scene of where there is a, um, and really it's one of the coolest scenes of the entire ride where a pirate ship has crashed into the side of the Spanish fort. Mm -hmm. And so you can see all of these pirates on the other side. And when you look above you, it's like all of these tattered, uh, sails. And there's even a point where there's a, a pirate animatronic that's swinging across back and forth mm -hmm. as if he's like trying to, you know, swing onto the, the, um, into the fort. And so, uh, so that was totally different and unexpected. And if you're not looking up and kind of in that general area, it's totally possible that you're caught by surprise. Um, and so then you go through the classic pirate scenes, you then go down through a drop and then you're pretty much, that's the ride. The, the, the pirate skull that talks to you is the last aspect of the ride as you're exiting out. He's, uh, he's kind of whispering in, in French. <laughs> uh, do they have the question? Uh, do they have red? They, yes, yes, they do. It's still red. It's not, it's not the, um, it's not the old pirate auction. Uh, you know, the only problem I have with that is it sounds like she's like trying to sell like the pirates, like, mm. uh, rum yeah. and stuff. And it's like, well, they're, they're pirates. They wouldn't buy rum. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like they don't want to auction for rum. They want to just take it. Yeah. I mean, then why are they pirates? 
That's a fair, no, that's a fair point. Um, I will say though, so Tokyo is the only park that still has the old kind of, I think they called it a wench auction or something like that. Um, it has not replaced it with the kind of more PC red, uh, you know, whatever it is, a yard sale or whatever she's doing. So uh, it was a little weird seeing that, like not bad weird. It's just, I was not expecting it. I've kind of grown so accustomed to red that uh, to see that was, was a little strange, but uh, no, it has been updated. Um, and so, yeah. And, and I'm trying to think the entrance to it was also pretty awesome in that you enter into a big kind of Spanish fort. So it makes total sense from a, from a narrative perspective that you start out in the fort um, in that way. So yeah, I thought it was, it was a really fun version. Again, Pirates Disneyland, uh, the original is still my favorite version of it, but, um, but out of the other versions, I would say this is probably my second, not counting Shanghai. Shanghai is a completely different oh, yeah. Pirates experience, but. Um, you know, see the one thing I miss, and I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but Remember those the area where like the pirates are running after the the women. Um, it used to be, you know, they're running after the women because they're trying to get the women. Then it was like they kind of set it up so like they're running after the women who are carrying stuff. And then I think there's even one where it's like the women are chasing the men. Well, there was like there was always one oh, where right. there was like the Over woman <laughs> was chasing the chasing the pirate. Uh, as like she's gonna marry him, mm-hmm. I love that one. Yeah, I always, always got a kick out of that. Now she's chasing him with a with a uh, rolling pin, so it's kind of, eh, you know, I th- I think that one could have still worked as <laughs> she's chasing him to marry him. Yeah, I, that totally would have still been fine for me. I mean, the other one's all right, but I mean, let, let's remember these are supposed to be pirates. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely true that in softening that ride. Uh, it is, it, it's the changes that they made definitely are very unpirate. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. It was the same thing. I was having a conversation with, uh, people about the, the, uh, the red situation too. And it was another one of those things where it's like, it's definitely noticeable if you know what was there before and you're right. Like it is very unpirate like to be selling rum to pirates. Uh, it's one of those things. If you didn't know about it beforehand. I don't know if it would bother you, but I mean, I don't have a big problem with red. I mean, they did have female pirates and I think they should be represented. It just feels like they, they made red trying too hard. Ah, you know, she stands out so hard, like, ah, they don't want that. They want the rum and stuff. And so it's just kind of like, it's a little bit more kind of in your face. And of course, of course, if you, uh, enjoyed it before and then they made this change with her so like out so like loud in that it kind of just is more like a like reminding you that they changed it yeah um i don't know character meet and greet is cool though yeah no i, I cool. mean like i said i don't have a problem with her and i, I just think they needed to have her like doing something else maybe more piratey right like uh you know i don't know we should take the rum or something instead of like, we should buy the rum. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so. that makes sense. Um, and so I do want to touch on, so that's, those were kind of the standouts at Disneyland. Uh, you know, they do have, like, like I said, it, it really is a, uh, such a beautiful park. And there were 
just kind of a lot of elements to it that as a Disneyland fan um, that I really enjoyed that I would just completely wasn't expecting. Um, if you hop on over to the second gate that they have there, Walt Disney Studios Park is a very different experience. And so, uh, and it, in many ways, I guess you could say it's rather analogous to uh, to Disneyland Resort in that uh, when Disneyland Resort Second Gate California Adventure opened, it was also pretty rough uh, around the edges and didn't feel like it fit and kind of felt like it was um, half day park. And so, uh, as we were saying, I mean, it's this is another Walt Disney Studios Park is probably more so than any of the other parks around the world going through a complete metamorphosis and a complete change. So. Uh, I mean, I would say probably half of the park is closed right now because they're in the midst of adding Star Wars land, a uh, Avengers campus there too, mm. and a there's a new Cars ride that they're building as well. Um, so, I mean, that is... And so because of that, there were a lot of the areas that were closed, um, a lot of the older rides. So, like, they had a version of Aerosmith... Uh, a rock and roller coaster there too uh, that had I think closed in maybe maybe mid to late uh, 2019. So um, so again, it's just one less attraction that that's going on. I was able to ride. They did have one version, the final version of the Studio Tram Tour that existed that uh, the original Hollywood Studio had as well, and that obviously Universal has. This is their kind of weird take on Universal that was. Um, and it was it was hard to tell if because I was there in the last few weeks of that ride, if they had just kind of given up and were like, all right, well, uh, you're just whatever. Um, or if the ride really was that kind of decrepit, uh, it was pretty, it, it was just, I mean, it was fine. It was a fun way to kind of rest your feet a little bit. They do have the best part of it was that they have the kind of classic catastrophe Canyon with the fire and the floodwaters and the earthquake that they kind of simulate, I guess that is going to be incorporated into the new cars ride. So, um, or aspects about it. So at least it's not completely gone, but, um, but so that's gone now too. Uh, but there were a couple of highlights, uh, from when I was there that, um, that are worth mentioning. So they have the Ratatouille ride, which is coming over to Epcot, uh, this summer, so I, I believe it's the exact same ride, which was fun. It is, I want to say it was built in 2014 and it definitely, you could tell, especially when compared to rise of the resistance that Disney Imagineering. And even when, even when compared to um, the pirates, Shanghai's pirates of the Caribbean, uh, which opened a few years later, all of those rides are relatively, I won't say, well, Ratatouille and Pirates are both very screen heavy. Um, Rise is not as screen heavy, but there's definitely some screen effects that are incorporated into the experience. And so um, Ratatouille, like I said, they've learned quite a bit since then because there were, there are a lot of moments on that ride where it is trackless and you're just kind of rolled up to, a big screen and there's a lot of action going on on screen and they kind of bob you around in the, in the car to simulate the actions, but the actions are so 
frantic on screen that it doesn't match up. The feeling that you're getting in the car compared to what's going on on the screen completely doesn't match up. And if you are somebody that gets uh, motion sick, this ride is not for you. Uh, mm-hmm. There were there was a, a woman sitting next to me at, at, on one of the rides. I think I rode it like three or four times. There was somebody sitting next to me that was had had her her head in her hands in her lap because she was getting so completely motion sick from it. Mm. Um, you know, you're doing just like I said, you, it's like you're doing these movements where you're quickly turning to the left or the screen shifts to the right and your car isn't doing that. So you just, and you're, and you're very close to the screen they're huge screens. Um, and so it's a complete mismatch, but, mm. but when it does work, there's a lot of elements where, you know, you go from a screen location. They usually use screens to, shuffle you from like big set to big set. So there's a couple of places where you then transit from a screen to a real set that looks really awesome. Um, and that was really well done. But, uh, but like I said, it's, it was pretty rough in terms of just that feeling of the screens. I don't get motion sickness. I have a pretty, I have a pretty iron stomach. Uh, I was definitely getting, I think my, my like my third or fourth time I was getting pretty, pretty sick. Um, uh, the other thing to mention about the ride too, is you, uh, that is very cool is that, um, you know, you exit into, you exit and the, the story is that you're exiting into Remy's restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so you're actually, they do have a Remy's restaurant at, at, uh, at Walt Disney studio park. And you do see it as you're walking out, like there are people in there. And if you are have a reservation to get in there, you can basically you're eating at the exit of that ride. Mm. So um, very well done. And the way that they have it themed on the ride is the exact same way that it's themed in the, uh, in the park. So it's very well themed. It's kind of miniaturized. And so, uh, so that was very cool, but it will be very interesting to see when it comes to Epcot. Um, if they do anything to kind of mitigate some of that motion sickness. And if not, if they're going to be people disappointed because they're expecting either a, a ride that's much bigger than it really is, or B that it's just so it's so kind of for lack of a better term, sickening. Uh, Uh, It's so extreme. I imagine they will do something to kind of mitigate that stuff because uh, it does seem like when they move these rides around, uh, particularly later on, like, you know, maybe not the initial ones we we know and love today, but like the newer ones, they do seem to update them to kind of accommodate some changes and and maybe even like some like uh, cultural changes and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, uh, sounds like the studio is going to be the park to go to in the future. Like all they needed to do is throw in the Tron roller coaster and then bam, yeah. you got all the best of the best almost there. It's pretty, so right. Stepping back and just looking at the park as a whole. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's pretty insane and they haven't confirmed kind of what is coming to each version of that. So is Star Wars land going to be Galaxy's Edge and Batu? I think I think what they said is that it's a it is a smaller version of it. I think I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that's what they've they've already confirmed that. But is it a smaller version of Galaxy's Edge or is it its own thing? Um, I don't know. Does that include Smuggler's Run or Rise of the Resistance? I don't know. Um, so it will be very interesting to see that for sure. Um, and Avengers Campus, same thing. Is it going to be what is 
um, in California. My guess is I think that has the best chance of being its own thing only because in a lot of the announcements for um, Avengers campuses around the world, I think this was in, again, D23 at this last um, at this last uh, news conference, but they talked about how it's a global initiative. Um, and already in Hong Kong uh, last year, early last year, well, even a couple of years ago, they started incorporating more Marvel into Hong Kong. So they have uh, Iron Man experience, which is basically Star Tours Iron Man, but um, they have that in Tomorrowland and it's set within kind of a Stark Expo area. So then they built in, um, they replaced, they, it's really kind of like a rethemed and kind of uh, refurbished and kind of bumped up overall quality, but it's still using the, um, it's an Ant-Man wasp ride based around, um, but the Buzz Lightyear shooting mm. rides. It's the same concept. Um, I think it's using the same track and technology too. It just looks a little nicer and is Marvel themed, but so, um, so it'll be interesting to see if they make it so that it's its own kind of a, a thing as opposed to, um, as opposed to just kind of, a mishmash of other rides, but well, I mean the, you know, dealing with the problem of universal having that contract with Marvel, yeah. they don't have to, I think outside of the U S they probably have a lot more, uh, freedom of what they can do. Cause, uh, I mean, that's one reason that contract is why you're not going to see a Marvel, uh, Disney Marvel type stuff in Florida. Yeah. Um, that's right. So, uh, you know, you know, regardless, it's, it's going to be a, a destination place when they get all that stuff in. It's pretty, it, it, you can see it. I mean, I think, um, so th the other quickly thing to touch on is they also have a version of Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. It is, uh, it is the California adventure version. So it's not as big and expansive as the Hollywood studios in Orlando, um, version, but, they do, they just recently did this thing where it's like a new, they call it like a new level of terror or something like that. But they've, they've redone the storyline to not rely quite as much on Twilight Zone, which we should, that's, that's worth delving into its own kind of thing. But, um, but it is kind of plussed up and it felt like maybe the drop sequences were a little bit more intense and had changed. So, um, so that's worth riding. I mean, uh, that, that tower of terror is always good times, but, uh, but that, those were pretty much it. There is like a, they have a roller coaster, a crush, they call it crushes coaster, which is, um, it's sort of like if you were to think of, uh, space mountain. So it's a dark coaster, but it's themed with, um, with different things with, uh, with, uh, finding Nemo, finding Dory. So they have like screens that they're projecting things. It's like when they, when they, with space mountain, when they change it to hyperspace mountain and all of a sudden are projecting like star destroyers and X wings and tie fighters and whatnot onto the track. It felt like that. So it's not super heavy theming. Um, but that was fun too, but that's pretty much it right now. So, I mean, it's hard for me to kind of come out and really knock Walt Disney studio too much because it really is in the middle of a major, um, change. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what it ends up being. If, if it's going to be, I mean, my sense is it's going to very much be 
like a California adventure in that there was a theme around California at one point. Uh, it's not really the case anymore. It's kind of IP mishmash now. Um, I have a feeling that's what it's going to be at Walt Disney Studios where they kind of still have the frameworks of a movie studio and kind of classic Hollywood there, but that really it's going to be kind of IP mishmash. Yeah. I mean, but then you, if you think about it, like uh, if you have like star Wars, you have Avengers campus, you got, those are like kind of movies. So, I mean, oh, no. I, mean it's, oh, I guess that's right. It's, I mean, I mean, given their movies in Disneyland too. And, and uh, in the other areas, but I mean, it, it seems like it would fit. I mean, maybe, I mean, it depends on, so it depends on how they present it. Um, yeah. Not that this is a hugely important point. Like if they, once they open up Avengers campus and star Wars land, whether galaxy says or not, nobody's going to care if it, if it, if it matches with the overall el- theme of the park, uh, they're just going to eat it up. But uh, you know, the whole theme of the park is behind the scenes movies. And that's why you have like, the tram tour. And that's why you have like old classic Hollywood and whatnot. And, um, but, uh, but I, you know, again, you could make the same argument with Ratatouille. Like they have it all built up as kind of like a, uh, a little Paris kind of village, uh, a little Paris, Paris kind of slice of Paris. And so that there's nothing behind the scenes movies about that. It's just, yeah, you're in Paris. Actually, you know, it would probably behoove them to actually have their Star Wars uh, land be like some other location because then you can have, you know, something where you're tying into different, uh, the different lands. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, It'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, definitely worth keeping your eye on because if they really deliver on those lands and then that, you know, to a lesser extent that cars ride, um, I mean, it could be, it could go, it certainly it most likely will go from a half day park to a full day park, but it really could be something special. I mean, yeah. if it's a best of, right. Yeah, um, I mean, even if they had the star Wars in being on Batu, you know, you have black spire and then you have this other place and then, yeah. Oh, that would be cool. I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be, <laughs> be awesome, awesome if they made like different a different planet, uh, Moss Eisley, like Cantina though. Oh. It would be. It would be incredible. That's the dream um, for sure. So the the only other thing I think I'll touch on with this, and that's worth touching on, is the food situation. So I had, I had, we, when we talked about this, um, we, we talked about this a little earlier too, but, um, but the food in – everything I had heard in my ramp up to going to Disneyland Paris is that don't expect much from the food. It's not that – it's not that special, and in certain cases it's pretty – bad for what you're paying for it. Um, I didn't find that to be too much the case. Uh, but that being said, I also prepared myself. So I knew the places to avoid and the places to go and not go. Um, but yeah, their, their snack game is not that plentiful. There's kind of felt very, with the exception of maybe a few options, it felt very generic. Um, in terms of what your, your options were for snacks and in terms of what your food options were, it was fine. I think the first day for, I pretty much only went big one meal a day, but the first day was, um, there was like a barbecue place in, uh, Thunder Mesa in their frontier land. That was fine. It was like, it was decent barbecue. It was, it was very expensive because basically what you're paying for was, I think it was a, um, it was an all you can eat buffet, at least for your 
appetizers and desserts. Uh, and then you could choose a main course, which was like a big plate of various different types of meats, which was fine. And it was in kind of like a average kind of ish barbecue sauce, mm. nothing too great. But again, it was like, it was fine. Um, and I would have been, I think if I would have paid what I paid, I think I ended up paying like 40 or 50 bucks for it. Um, and, but, if, and if I had paid that much here in the U S at, at, some of these parks, I would have been probably pretty upset. Certainly at Disneyland, which has mm. stepped up their food game quite a bit over the years. Yeah. Although I do miss their, their barbecue place. Oh and, yeah. Oh big, man. Big Thunder barbecue or whatever yeah. it was called. I forget. It was, it was actually. No, Thunder really, Ranch. Big Thunder Ranch. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. That place was good. Yeah. I miss that. There's really not a great barbecue option at uh, the park now. There's smoke jumpers, which is not barbecue, but. Yeah. That's actually kind of a disappointment because. It sounds like barbecue and then it's burgers. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, now the question is, mm -hmm. did they have churros? They did. Of course. Uh, yeah. And more importantly, did they have pickles? Oh, that is a good question. I, I cannot answer. I didn't see any pickles. I was not on the lookout for them. I feel like pickles are one of those things where, uh, it's an easy thing to miss if you're not out on the lookout for them. What are you talking about? Big pickles are amazing, man. I'm always on the lookout for big pickles. I was not on the lookout for the big pickle. Uh, so um, I, you're right. Uh, I should have, and I should have brought one back for you. Um, but uh, that, but I didn't think about that. So, um, so maybe they do. I bet they don't though. I bet they don't. Maybe they do. Um, they do have like crepes. Those are fine. Um they, you know, like I said, they had a lot of the standard stuff. So then, but the second day I had, it was like, uh, it was kind of like a Greek kind of, uh, Euro with, you know, some chips, which was fine. Um, again, nothing to write home about, nothing special, totally edible, totally standard. And I, I paid a lot less for that. Um, well, it's like when, when I was in the UK, uh, kebabs are huge. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's the same case for like, uh, uh, France. Maybe, I mean, honestly, like it was, it was fine. Like I said, it wasn't like terrible, which is what I was expecting based off of a lot of what I had read. Um, you know, I could have, it sounds like the, the one to definitely hit up would have been, um, would have been, uh, Remy's restaurant mm. in Walt Disney studios because this was a bit of a last minute rearranged. They didn't have any reservations available mm. for me. So I didn't get to try that, but, um, I, w I will say, you know, what is worth mentioning as well about the whole restaurant situation, and then I'll leave it there about the food, but is just that it is, um, it's a little disorganized in terms of trying to figure out where you're going to eat because, um, you know, going in, like we've been talking about, like any good Disney planner, you try to think about where are the places I want to eat. And especially in this case where I had heard that the food wasn't so great, I really was trying to avoid some of the places that weren't so good and just find like, well, what are those kind of either hidden gems or hot spots that I really want to make sure to hit up. And so uh, I definitely, like we had talked about, I definitely wanted to hit up Toad Hall, um, which is supposed to be beautifully themed. I saw it from the outside. It looked really gorgeous. Uh, and it's supposed to be kind of like pub food, fish and chips, mm -hmm. uh, whatnot, uh, bangers and mash, all that kind of stuff there. Um, so that sounded good. I was I was all in for that. And I guess it's pretty common in Disneyland Paris that 
during less crowded times, um, which is, I, I guess I was there during a less crowded time, they will kind of randomly close up a different assortment of restaurants. And that won't be represented in any of the kind of cal- the online calendar wasn't even represented on the, in the app. So, you know, I think in the app it showed total was open. I got there definitely not open. Mm-hmm. And then I think even where I ended up having lunch at the barbecue place, it said it was closed, went there totally open. So mm-hmm. I, it was a, it was a little frustrating in terms of planning. Um, and you know, the last thing you want to do is be ready for dinner or lunch and being like having to hunt down certain things and have like your first or second option, not there. Uh, and then you've got to run like an audible to figure out like, well, now what are we going to do? Of course. Cause like, I mean, we're like uh, literally about a month out from my trip to Disneyland yeah. and I already have two reservations. I have a reservation for lunch and I have a reservation for dinner. There you go. I know where I'm, what I'm eating. I'll, so, well, I'll uh, bet, I'll bet that the reservation restaurants are different because there's no, I, I would be very wow. surprised if they're going to take a reservation for a day. They're not going to be open, but true. I mean, I mean, I understand. Yeah. The reservation, but I mean, that's just kind of to point out the fact that I'm already thinking about where I'm going to eat yeah. and what I want to eat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's just, you know, good planning. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it, like I said, in general, that was probably the only hiccup, uh, other kind of like quick little points to mention, um, they do have a fast pass system there. It is all paper fast passes. So no, uh, no kind of on your phone fast passes mm-hmm. like uh, my Disney experience or uh, Max Pass or Shanghai is all is all phone stuff as well. Uh, so you have to physically find the find the um, find the fast pass box and do that scan your ticket. Uh, Peter Pan does have a fast pass there. Also one of the most popular rides still in Disneyland is, is Peter Pan. It's pretty wild. That's just, that is the case. It's, it's uh, and, uh, those fast passes went early. I think by 2 PM they were gone for the day. Um, also the park closes much earlier. Like the, it was totally, I think the park closed at like seven or 8 PM. Mm. Um, both of the days that I was there, 7 PM, I think. Mm. And so it was like, it opened it. 8 or 9 p.m. and closed at 7 or 8. So it was like in certain circumstances, it's not even going to be open for 12 hours. So it was definitely, uh, it was kind of nice actually it being closed and just being like, all right, well, I'm not totally tired yet. I have things to do. I wandered over to uh, Disney Village, which is like their version of downtown Disney, um, which was okay. They had kind of like a Christmas village, uh, a Christmas shop set up. Uh, it's definitely not as, uh, extensive as Disney Springs or downtown Disney. You're not going to spend a ton of time there. They do have like a movie theater. They do have uh, a couple of restaurants. I think there was like, what was it? A hard rock cafe? No, it was a planet Hollywood. They have a planet Hollywood there. Uh, and a few other places. They do have an Earl of sandwich, which I definitely did. I think for dinner. Um, it's kind of surprising because I feel like the downtown Disney's still kind of sparse for me yeah as far as shopping like uh the universal city walk yes is amazing much better uh of course they also shut down uh universal studios at you know in october and stuff around six so you're forced to go there so they they can make some money off you in some way yeah fair enough um though i mean it was 
I feel like with Universal, there's a little bit less to do. So it's like six o'clock. You're like, all right. Yeah, but I mean, if you want to see the shows and then mm, ride things, you really have to be on your on the ball yeah. because you could easily. I think the first time I took my wife to Universal Studios, and I don't think she had been there since like. I don't know if she'd ever gone on the tram tour and we wind up missing it because we were not on the ball. I think I think they said the last tram tour was at four 30 and I think at four 25 or four 20, we were trying to run down there and they were like, Nope, it's closed. It does feel pretty early, man. Four 30. It was, it was, it was really uh, frustrating. Yeah. Now was that, that wasn't peak time, I'm guessing, or was it? No, it was it was around uh, October. Okay, it seems like the always the the time we're always there. Yeah, Halloween. Yeah, and so the only other thing really that I'll touch on it was very brief. I was, but because I was there during December, it was there uh, Christmas time or holiday time, whatever they theme it, whatever they theme it as. Um, but uh, it was pretty light. I had heard that there was some reason this year that the castle lights didn't go up. Usually they do have lights on the castle. Um, similarly, like at the other parks, they did not this year, which is fine. I mean, it's such a beautiful castle. It didn't matter that much, uh, but it was a little weird. Every, you know, main street was done up and they had a Christmas parade, but really outside of that, they very light on Christmas decorations mm. uh, and just general holiday decorations. I, I feel like once you got out from, um, once you got out from kind of main street, it, you just, it was just, it felt like you were just at the park. There was mm-hmm. no special kind of theming done. Um, which like I said, it's, it's such a beautiful park. It doesn't need to be plussed up, but if you are going to Disneyland Paris, expecting this huge Christmas spectacle, you're not going to do it. Uh, you're not going to get it. The other thing too, the hotels were also not done up for the holidays very much, at least the value hotels. So, um, Oh, I think I didn't. So touched on Santa Fe Hotel, Cheyenne Hotel. Just briefly, I'll touch on that too. That was their second night. That's kind of Toy Story-ish Western themed. Mm. So it feels like you're in a Western town. Um, It's huge. The value resorts are huge. Uh, I guess Disneyland Paris is the most visited tourist destination in Europe. So Mm. they've got something like, they've got just massive capacity at their hotels. Um, and so, uh, that was a little more themed though, man, I had to walk a really, I think they put me at the furthest hotel building. So I had to walk forever before getting to my room, uh, which was a big bummer after a full day at the park. And then in the morning, um, it was raining too. So in the morning I had to walk in the rain out to, uh, where the bus was. Luckily they had a Starbucks right at the entrance to both hotels. So I was able to at least get some coffee, but that was a bummer. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would totally recommend those hotels. Uh, it also, like I said, gets you into the park a little earlier, um, which on a crowded day as always is good times. You can at least knock out some of those early, uh, some of those early fantasy land rides that get really slammed. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised that, uh, uh, so, uh, Disneyland Paris is uh, the most visited uh, tourist attraction. Just seems it's been my experience that most of the stuff that you uh, want to see in Europe, you can't really go through it. Like uh, Stonehenge, oh, you can see it 
from afar. I see. But you can't walk through it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. I mean, yeah. If you're interested in any kind of Disney park, there's nothing else around that, right? It's not sure. like here where, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I guess we've got Disneyland here, but it's, you know, if you're like in the middle of the country, it's a three, four hour flight away from Disneyland or Disney World. Um, but then we have other theme parks and I don't know how they have, they're set as far as theme parks in they do. Europe. They have, they have a, a few. Well, I'm sure they do. Nothing, I mean, n- nothing at the level of uh, Disneyland. There's nothing really, but they definitely have quite a few. But yeah, so I mean, if you're really, it's like, you know, Europe is a, populous place. There's a lot of people that live there. So yeah, I mean, that's where you're coming. And it's also, I mean, with the trains too, they make it very easy. So you could just take a train from another country as well um, and just be there. So that just about does it for today on the Great Park Hop. You can catch us each and every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast service just so happens to be. As always, you like what you hear and really want Henry to flash that award-winning smile, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or hit that like button. This has been The Great Park Hop, and we'll catch you next week. Next week. Next week.